Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, I'm speaking with various tech leaders about AI, about smart cities and folding smartphones. We're discussing news about Bill Gates, about Google and much more. And make sure that you stick around until the end of this podcast because we will be reviewing a brand new product, which many people are saying has the potential to replace your smartphone. Welcome back to the podcast. The Alfie Wattam Podcast. Okay, first topic of conversation. Um, AI-generated newsreader is live in Kuwait. So this blonde-haired, computer-generated woman named uh, Feda appeared on Kuwait News. Uh, you know, could this cutting-edge tech replace the need for human news anchors? So this person does not exist. This is a, a generated model which you can put in some kind of GPT uh, you know, instruction and it will give you the news and it will have her reading it out and this is going to potentially replace news anchors obviously a lot cheaper a lot easier they don't get sick they don't take vacation (laughs) you don't have to worry about any of that stuff you can just plug it in and i imagine create any type of image that that you like it could be the most attractive person in the world you could have uh you know people that look like celebrities talking about different topics and very very interesting to see um so ai generated news reader revealed uh, let's go back and uh, and get all of your opinions and uh, thoughts into this uh harry we'll, we'll start with you mate uh, what's your perspective when you see this yeah i mean it is really interesting uh, application of of this technology i think um is it going to replace human news readers i don't think so i think okay. the i think the the sort of personality and the character you can get from a real person currently isn't being able to be captured by these uh by these uh, kind of AIs, if you like, but yes, uh, yeah. that's not to say they will won't in the future. I just, yeah, I, I think that there's going to be more generally a, a premium on the sort of the human touch in all of these in all of these instances where AI could ultimately, you know, provide uh, the, the the sort of level of of human reality that uh, that is currently done by real humans today. I, I think, yeah. I do think it is a um, it's quite a long. A long path to get there, though. Um, that, that sort of that last, that last sort of ten, twenty percent of of realism is is a critical last ten or twenty percent. We're sort of in that uncanny valley at the moment. I mean, um, r- right now, I think you're right. You know, I'd rather watch a, a person speaking than than a AI model. It, you know, the voice sounds really fake and, and that sort of thing. But do you think we could potentially get to that point where it's indistinguishable from a real person speaking? Because if that happens, I'm I'm kind of screwed because I've had, I've got hundreds of hours of podcasts. Right, they can make me say anything at this point. Um, and maybe they'll just re- I will just replace myself on the pod and just do AI episodes of AI Alfie speaking. But do you think we could get to that point in the not so distant future? Do you, do you see that as a reality? Yeah, sure. I do think it's going to get more and more. It's just going to go, going, going, it's going to get better and better, basically. Um, so, y- yes, I think that is definitely possible. Okay, uh, Fred, what's your point of view when you see this story, mate? So, when I look at that photo, I think it's quite creepy, and most of the instances I've seen are the same. And when I hear them, um, I'm not very impressed. Uh, but to agree with Harry that we're a long way away, but I think it it will come. I think it was Bill Gates said that in the short term. People tend to overestimate the impact of technology, but in the long term, they tend to underestimate the impact. And I think we're a long way from AGI, and I think you would need that kind of level of interaction and serendipity, which isn't here yet. Yeah, I mean, we, we often overestimate what we can do in a year, but underestimate what we can do in like a decade. And um, maybe in a decade, you won't be able to tell if this is an AI or or a person. But right now, I think you're right. I think you're both right. I think it's a bit kind of basic, right? I don't know if I want to sit there and watch this for hours and hours on end, telling me the news each day. Um, but who knows? I mean, um, if, if more and more and more companies start doing it, perhaps it will come the norm. Um, Mikhail, what's your take on, on this story? Um I find this quite terrifying, to be honest. I think if we look at the kinds of things we've been seeing in the polarization of the media in the past five years, this takes us to a very scary place because, I mean, I foresee how this can be used to completely discredit public figures who have been trusted. So deep right? fake type technology. China used this in the last election cycle in the US. Um, they did deep fake news reading um, to basically so discontent around gun violence. Mm. And I think we're going to see far, far more of that as the technology gets better. And the natural next step from the deep pegs is is full computer generation. 
And that's also scary because it completely removes the human attribution element. Mm. Like you're not trusting a person. It's an organization. And like how easy is that to, to just create an identical like brand? Mm. Like you could see 50 channels with effectively the same human being speaking very similar words, but with very different implications. And putting that into social media, that can yeah. easily sway a narrative, right? And if you get on the hashtags, it, it, it can influence and drive public opinion. Yep. Um, maybe Elon was onto something with the verified ticks. Maybe maybe that kind of makes sense. So you can trust the source of the information. But we've even seen that system being abused with people making fake accounts and, and uh, you know, various um, things happening off the back of that. Um but yeah, interesting to see where, where where it's going, right? I mean, if I had to take like a little yes or no from each of you, um, five, ten years from now, do you think this will replace human news readers, news anchors um, on on scale, on mass? Um, Fred, w- would you say yes, you know, it, it will be a reality or, or no, humans will still be the ones delivering the news for the most part? I think it's going to be a combination. Okay. Um, and there'll be, I think the formats will change. I think simple news reading, yes, it will have a significant impact in five to 10 years, but more investigative journalism and interviews and more serendipitous exchanges? No. Okay. What about yourself, Harry? I'm a no, actually. I think there might be an element of, yeah, AI generated, you know, news reading, but I, I, I personally, I don't think the the level of personality and the kind of, if you look at like the Tucker Carlson's of the world, like, yeah. Uh, I, I, there's a real there's there's something very unique about that sort of delivery and um, I, I think that's going to be very hard to recreate yeah and uh, I agree I agree I think very simple you know I, I, I read a lot of sub stacks and I, I will listen to them um, and it is a computer generated voice at the moment but it's okay because you know you're just going to walking for five minutes and listening to it I think that sort of headlines like the top headlines that will be what it's used for but opinion commentary perspective insights I think you're right in, in uh, detailed journalism you can't really replace it at the moment with, with, with GPT um, but who knows uh, Mikhail what, what's your take on that? I think probably it's a mix. Um, I think high-end, low-end, sort of what I think Harry was speaking to earlier is like the premium. um, I think there will be premium brands and I think there will be low-end brands. Yeah, I think that's very much the world that we're going towards and yeah, that's going to be a very confusing place to live. Like the bad <laughs> journalists, the, the ones that are just reading from a script, they're going to be the ones yeah. to go, right? Because, you know, you're not going to need them. But the ones that actually have value to add, those are the ones that are going to stick around. I think, just to add as well, I think it may well be technically very possible to, uh, yeah, to create this kind of, you know, the, the, that maybe the higher end level. I, 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 as a technologist, I think that as an engineer, I think there are solvable problems there, but it's, it's more like whether that will be popular or not, because obviously if you're, you, you, I think the world is going to go in the direction where anything that is a, a sort of a fake, a synthetic uh, human, it will have to be notified as such. I think that's that's going to be an absolute baseline. So the question is whether people will would prefer to listen to an AI or would prefer to listen to a human reading their news. And I think that's going to be the case, whether it's news or, or anything else. And I, yeah. my, my hunch is that people would prefer to listen to other people. Yeah. Yeah, the human touch is difficult mm. to replace, isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, the extension, there was a movie in the 80s called Looker where they actually took like three-dimensional pictures of actors and actresses and they created the entire movies without them. They didn't have to do any of the acting. Oh, yeah. So that is an extension of what we're talking about. Yeah. And I think it will be, it's coming. Yeah. It's a question of when and to what degree. And I think it's hard to draw the line. You know, if you enhance a picture, if you do a deep fake if you put a, a jacket on the pope you know how do you regulate that what is the level of interference and editing that requires some sort of notification how is that done who creates those rules uh, i think it's very much an open question the, the mid journey uh, prompt with the pope in the jacket is great it's uh, my wife believed <laughs> it for a few minutes when i first showed it to her um, yeah crazy to see that we you know we don't know what we have to believe or not and that ties into the deep fakes you know if there's a lot of these you know hundreds thousands of these accounts um, you know spreading misinformation uh, trying to get a particular narrative across it'll be interesting to see how we can trust that 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 source of information moving forward hey this podcast is brought to you by we love alpha.com if you're looking to grow and hire and scale your software engineering team in the uk then go to welovealpha.com to hire the best software developers on the market 
everything across Java to C Sharp to PHP to Python to React and Angular and mobile and more, go to weloveAlpha.com to hire the best software engineers in the UK now. Um, okay, all right. N- next story delves into the world of smart cities, the future of living. This is a project called The Line um, in Saudi uh, Arabia, and essentially it puts together an entire uh, city uh, on scale into a line, essentially. Um, so nine million residents will be living in this thing when it's completed. Um, it's massive, um, and it stretches across a, a vast land um, in, a, in a line. Um, it looks very, very futuristic. Obviously, this is a um, CGI video, right? This is not um, showing what it actually looks like. It's a concept. But they're trying to make neighborhoods that are five minutes, um, so you don't have to walk around everywhere. Everything's local. Everything's together. You can travel from one end to the other end in 20 minutes. Um, Obviously, the fastest way to go from point A to point B is a straight line, hence the the concept. And they're trying to make it very, very environmentally friendly, you know, with autonomous services and vehicles and eco-friendly and no emissions. the flying around CGI part is uh, is obviously marketing and, and, and hype for this video, right? But you've got to uh, you've got to have a little bit of it. Um, it's massive, 170, um, and mirror glass for sale. I feel really sorry for the birds that might fly into this thing um, if there are any birds in that desert. Um, but I mean, it looks cool, it looks interesting. It definitely looks very futuristic and sci-fi. Um, but you know, a lot of these projects often stay visions for forever and they never actually get executed on they are starting to do construction on this it's definitely underway um but it'll be interesting to see if they can actually pull it off and and make it a reality but this is the line uh one of the new wonders of the world um okay what's your perspective we'll start with yourself michael Uh, when when you see that clip when you see this news what 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 comes to mind i think as a software engineer my first sort of reaction is you learn over time that if you're gonna start a project and a large project, you wanna solve at most one to two difficult problems. Mm. You don't wanna start by saying, I'm gonna solve 10, right? So when we say 100% renewables, we say one of the top 15 tallest buildings in the world, we say the longest building of the world, the most densely populated city in the world with some of the fastest high-speed rail in the world, you're starting to solve a lot of very difficult problems all at the same time. And that, I think for me, creates a lot of doubt about the successful sort of outcomes that are possible here. Additionally, I'm sort of a market person. And I think when you try to manufacture demand, that can be problematic, right? So in China, they've built cities Mm. and a lot of them are relatively empty. Yeah. Um, so I would speculate that, you know, this is probably a luxury property. Do you have 9 million people with the relative wealth that's going to be required to live there who are just jumping at the bit to move to the desert? Questionable, perhaps. Um, so you're, you're skeptical. You think the man who chases two rabbits catches none. Mm. They're trying to do too many things and, and it ultimately yeah. it, it may not work for those reasons. I think effectively that's my stance, yeah. But what I would have loved to see in this is something like distributed energy resources. Yeah, yeah. I, I come from an energy sort of supply background. I spent a few years working in that industry and I think that's something that's really important. When you're looking at 100% renewables, like you can't just say, I'm gonna consume 100% renewables. You have to also say, how are we gonna balance the grid when we're gonna feed a city mm. with 100% renewables? Nine million they people. needed, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like all of that storage, all of those buildings, like <clears throat> you have so many potentials for energy storage for grid balancing technology, and there was none of that in in the materials that I've seen so far. And that could have been extremely interesting, right? That's a space in technology that needs to be solved, like really needs to be solved for the future. High-speed rail, like, okay, sure, great. Um, But distributed energy resources, that would solve a world problem. Um, I know that they are making huge strides in hydrogen, et cetera, in the Saudi. So they're doing fantastic things, but this would have been, I think, a big win. Okay. Uh, Harry, what's your take on, on this story? Yeah, well, as a massive sci-fi enthusiast, I think just looking at the marketing video, I'm like, wow, yeah, I'd, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to go and try it, and live there. Yeah, that's, uh, that looks quite fun. Um, if it you know if it ends up looking like that, and uh, I don't know, maybe it'd be a fun place to go and stay and, and check it out, but um, it, who knows? Could you live there? I think there's a, uh, there's, a, there's a thing with these kind of like 
creating cities and new towns like the best thing about living in london for example is some of the, the history and the mm. culture you've got and how how much can you manufacture that straight away um and i you know i don't know i think that's that would be very difficult to do, especially if there's only a bunch of rich people living there um that might be um quite boring yeah. but um i think as a vision as like a ceo of a business and uh, you know it working in quite a complex piece of technology uh, you know the, you can't fault them for that that's pretty cool and even if they get 25 percent of the way there then it's uh, on, on some of those bold things that miguel's talking about then they're 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 making a step forward basically so i i don't know i respect it and i um I, i'm quite keen to see how it develops I, i'm certainly rooting for it as well as a <laughs> sci-fi you know fan I, i'm really really hoping they, they can pull it off i definitely have the same doubts that you have to, to a degree i mean i've seen these types of projects come and go um but um yeah we'll, we'll be interesting to see what happens um fred what, what's your take on the line yeah i i think i have a certain level of skepticism as well and um to disclose, I have a friend actually who's working on the project as a technology and data manager okay. and managing a large team. It's definitely audacious. It's definitely running into challenges on budget. But remember, there are examples of cities being built in the desert. One is Las Vegas. Dubai. Which, yeah, Dubai. You know, are they successful in some sense? I would definitely say yes. It took many decades. Um, and there are examples of planned cities and even planned countries. If you look at a place like Singapore uh, and in terms of attracting wealth and people from all over the world, um, I think the location of this and the fact that it's Saudi and the politics, and I'm sorry to say the religion that's involved and the control, I think are going to be large barriers. Because if you, I think if you look at successful cities, attracting a diversity of talent, a diversity of professions, uh, creative and artists, and people who have dissenting views, I'm not sure if those are all in line with the values and the kind of controls that are being put on, on this particular project. Mm. But again, it's, it is exciting to see. And um, even if it achieves 20 or 30%, as I say, I think it'll be quite an achievement. Would you guys be open to, to, to going there and maybe staying for a, for a trip or even perhaps living there? Would you, you know, would you be open to the idea after it's all, if, if they achieve that vision, you know, would you, would you be open to, um, I, guess, I guess, both, you know, going there for a trip or, or, and or living there? Um, what, what do you think, Fred? Trip, definitely, because I'm naturally curious and I, I think it'd be super interesting to see. Living there, I, I think with some of the political and other control and privacy issues, I, I would yeah, it's, it's, have to it's, think really hard about it. It's a shame those. it's not in London. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I, I get what you're saying, right? Uh, yeah. I'd probably say the same. I mean, they're kind of missing a trick. I, I'm mm. sure they have like hotels and Airbnbs and stuff in there, but that would be like the coolest Airbnb ever, like to, to, to stay in this sort of setup. Um, what, what about you, Harry? Would you would you be open to living there, trip? What, what's your perspective? Yeah, definitely. I'll go check it out. <laughs> no doubt. It would be, uh, be really interesting to see. Um, I, I think uh, generally it's we are having to rethink about how humans sort of interact and live in the world. And this could be quite a futuristic way of, of seeing that. So you might get a little bit of a glimpse of the future. And that is quite, that's quite exciting. Um, and Mikel, would you be open to moving, living, staying? What, what's your perspective on that? I think possibly, yeah, as a curious person, it would be interesting to see it. You know, we have a, an interesting perspective on, on history around like, what is a wonder of the world, right? Like we're not building and thinking of things as a new wonder of the world. And I think we probably should. Like, that's that's an audacious thing to build. And if it's successful, I think that's a wonder of the world. Um, so would I want to see it? Yes. Would I want to live there? Probably, to Fred's point, no. Especially looking at it from a humanitarian perspective, right? There's 20,000 people being displaced by it. Yeah. There's yeah. been three people sentenced to death for protesting it. There's oh, really? been a person wow. killed by the Saudi wow. security. Um, already for expressing his views on social media. So okay. probably not. I, I love the project. <laughs> it's amazing. You guys are doing a great job on it. <laughs> um, I think um, I, I respect that it's like like a moonshot from a tech perspective. Obviously, I agree with the, the human rights um, side of the coin, but um, just from a pure technical 
um, perspective. It's great to see people trying to be brave and, and build big projects, regardless of if they're going to be successful or not. It's definitely bold and ambitious, isn't it? So it'd be, it'd be cool to track this one and, and see where it goes. Okay, going on to um, Mr. Gates, uh, our old friend Bill is talking about how AI will be teaching kids literacy in the next 18 months. Um, at a summit, the, the billionaire said that AI will get to the ability to be as good as a tutor um, more than any human uh, ever could. Um, Mr. Gates, uh, Microsoft, talking about... Um, obviously, he's still involved in Microsoft um, in some capacity, um, you know, obviously many, many years since he's been uh, running the ship, but obviously they are the closestly involved with, with OpenAI and everything that's happening with GPT. But um, yeah, I mean, he so he's at the forefront of this and he's saying that, you know, potentially teachers, tutors could be replaced and why would you need them if you have AI which could do the same job um, just as well, um, similar to what I was saying about the news anchors earlier. Um, Harry, what's your take on Bill Gates's shocking AI prediction? <laughs> Uh, this, I think, this application of generative AI in education is just one of the one of many examples, actually, but probably one of the best right now that's most tangible, which you can really see generative AI bringing benefit, and it's a nice antidote to some of the the scaremongering and well, some of the legitimate worries around um, around um, AI as well that's uh, that, that around that we discussed earlier. I think. Um, the, the real power of the latest developments around large language models is that ability to democratise information um, so much better than even the internet managed to achieve. It was, the internet was a good step on the journey, but it's still fairly difficult to interface with. You still have to, and increasingly more so, have to wade through a lot of spam to, to get to the actual high-quality information you need. There's still going to be the question about whether the information is, is exactly accurate, and that's going to be a, a challenge that needs to be solved. But to have... Um, a, a sort of a knowledge bank that you can interact with, uh, you know, in the in the way we've all been programmed to communicate with one for one another for now millennia. Yeah. It is a it's extremely powerful, and um, I, I don't think we've quite understood the the level of how uh, you know how how useful that was going to be for for everyone. It suddenly it suddenly does turn any, everyone into a genuine expert. It just reminds me a little bit of that moment in the Matrix where they're sort of in that uh, in that white room and it's like download how to how to drive a helicopter. It's, 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 it's just one step away from from that. Really, it's it's amazing. It's got to link it up to a neural link and then yeah, you can exactly. download skills. That would be the dream, right? Um, okay, Mikhail, what's your take on Bill Gates's prediction on on AI? Yeah, I mean, I think. I wouldn't look at this as replacing teachers at all. I wouldn't look at it as replacing tutors at all. I think this is assistive and additive to to education, right? Like I work currently in healthcare and what we're looking for is ways to create higher leverage for these people who are in key positions, mm. right? So what you want to do is, is A, level the playing ground, so provide fundamental education uh, at the same level to all people, creating equality of opportunity, right? Because we don't realistically have that. We have the idea of it. We don't have it in practice, I think. The teachers are not the same. Funding is not the same mm. everywhere. So creating a baseline of literacy, perfect. Literacy is the ideal place to start because it doesn't deal with factuality. It doesn't deal with truthfulness or accuracy. So this is the perfect place to start, and it can create a, a more level playing field. And I think allowing teachers to... well. So saying, like, let's use these kinds of technologies to take kids from zero to one and let's let teachers focus on taking kids from one to ten. That's a good way of looking right? at it, yeah. Giving them more face time, giving them higher leverage in their jobs, fantastic. Like, yeah. that could have a really significant impact on education. I think one of the largest problems growing up in Sweden that was always discussed on TV, which is maybe a sign of how boring Sweden is, um, is the problem of, like, ratios between students and teachers okay. and the amount of face time that they get. Okay. or the lack thereof. And I think this is something that goes a far way to, to fixing that problem. So that's fantastic. Okay, so you, you both seem very optimistic about uh, this. Do, do you share the, the opinion, Fred, or, or do you have a different point of view? I think it's definitely a, a step forward. And for me, the internet and things like YouTube and these knowledge bases have really democratized education. I mean, I know so many people in the UK, in the US, who are self-taught developers, coders working at fang companies. Mm -hmm. And to even think of that, when I was growing up, would just people would think you're nuts. So and and of course that extends to people in developing countries too. So I think this is another step in that direction in allowing people to learn 
independently, independent of teachers. But I think there is still definitely a role um, for an educator and for direction, um, for structure, for focus. Uh, this is a tool. It's a powerful tool, but it needs to be within the context. An education isn't just learning math or learning yeah. English. There's a lot of steps along the way, and it's also experience. And I think too much dependence on learning everything through of through video or on the internet is not a replacement for actually having life experiences. Yeah. And that I am worried about, yeah. particularly having kids and the amount of time they spend on their phones or on the watching screens versus actually going out and doing things. Yes. It's only going to increase. With yeah, I, I mean, that's, yeah, that, yeah. that's what I'm personally worried about. Like Snapchat AI, they, they are getting into the kids <laughs> um, and getting them early. Um, well, what about the accuracy of the information? Because with education, that's obviously the most important thing about learning the, the right the writing though um we've seen so many situations of ai you know getting it wrong and giving people the wrong answer and people just trusting that um one thing that is hilarious to me is um i've started to see with, with my um talent agency i've started to see so many people applying for jobs and they have the words on their cv as a large language model and it's and you can tell it's been written by uh, gpt and people have like asked it to create a cv and answers and they haven't even checked it they've just trusted the information which you know it's just sloppiness right but um we're probably going to see that with with homework being given to teachers and it's got you know ai generated answers um could that be dumbing people down if if we're just trusting ai to do it i know you can make the counter argument and say hey look we already have calculators did that you know stop people from doing math problems but um this is a bit different because ai can can learn on itself and whereas a calculator can't really right so wh what are your views on the downsides this could have from an education point of view um harry what, what's your take mm, yeah i i agree there are there's a sort of shift in in understanding there and i don't think the calculator is the perhaps the perfect analogy it's sort of it, it just about works but this is this is something slightly different um and yes yeah, certainly things like plagiarism and uh and all of those those sort of topics need to be understood but um my feeling is that actually although humans are quite lazy um we're also very naturally curious and um i think the at a high level at least i think the benefits outweigh the drawbacks because uh, i think Ultimately, this will be used as a tool for discovery, less so of sort of cutting corners. Mm. Um, and uh, that that I, I'm, a, I'm a bit more optimistic on that front um, because I do think uh, that the way that the education system might develop will, will, will sort of, you know, build this into it. Um, and uh, I think there'll be the, the way of testing people and, and all of that sort of stuff that will adapt to, to, to having this technology and whether that's incorporating it and how do you use it and getting good at using it all the way through to things like really testing whether you actually understand the subject matter or not. And I, I think that's still important. It's it, We shouldn't, um, we as with the internet, we shouldn't sort of let go of our kind of, um, knowledge and and sort of you know uh, upload it to the internet and then not not have to not have to worry about it. a bit like um, you see it with Google Maps or something like that. It's it's much more difficult to learn your way around a city if you're just constantly using. Uh, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. I still find it pretty impossible to navigate around <laughs> London without without using a map. But it's um, it is amazing how quickly you you know you you seed your your understanding to a machine and and I think people will be aware of that just trust it implicitly yeah. yeah i mean using it is great but just trusting it with, without questioning is, is obviously where it gets a little bit dangerous um fr fred what's your take on perhaps the negative side it could have on the education world i am concerned i'm particularly having uh, children and kind of the, this laziness and i think what i wouldn't want to see is people not being encouraged and actually pushed to be creative and i think for some facts yeah, sure, you can look them up just like you can check a number on a calculator. But getting people to be creative, whether that be in, in writing uh, in one area um, or in language or, or even in math in trying to solve problems that haven't been solved, I, I really hope we don't lose that and people just become so dependent on, on maps. I mean, for myself, yeah, of course I use Google Maps. I have a built-in GPS in my car. But sometimes I just say, you know what? I'm not going to follow this because actually it's not always right and it doesn't always take you the best way. And I want to use my senses. I want to see the areas I'm going through and, and build my own mental map of where I'm going and maybe I'll make a mistake 
and maybe I'll have to take me a little bit longer. But there's also value in that, in having that experience and putting in the context of a mental map and and even confidence that you're not dependent on these devices because sometimes you may not have access to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely just trusting them, it takes away the opportunity to fail a lot of the time. And if you if you fail, you learn and you get better, right? So just just solely relying on them could be uh, could be a downside. Um, what, what's your take, Mikel, on, on the, the potential risks of this being involved in education? I think Fred made a really good, interesting point there around the laziness and around maybe people not learning to struggle with learning. Because um, I think that's very important, right? Like acquisition of new knowledge doesn't come for free usually. Like not deep knowledge, not like true understanding. It usually comes through like sitting with something looking at it for a long time and developing your own model of something, not being told what the model is. Yeah. So I think one way you could address that is through new and novel user experiences around this sort of generative AI, around encouraging people to read, uh, for example, rather than telling them what to think. But, you know, the thing is you can never restrict people from using ChatGPT. You, can, you can't take this away now. Um, you know, I think, I believe... Bill Gates was talking about like an 18-month sort of horizon. Elon and Steve Wozniak yeah. and, and hundreds of others. I don't think Bill Gates signed it. But yeah, they wanted to pause development, right, for 18 months. Yeah. I agree with you. It can't be done because even, even if the West or, or a certain country bans it, you know, China's not going to stop the yeah. development. The genie's and out of the bottle. Yeah, exactly. exactly, yeah. <laughs> Sam Altman, what have you done to us? You know, it's too late now. We're, we're going through this period now where we're going to be discussing regulation. Yeah. What does that look like? Can it be done effectively in practice? Yeah doubtful i would say but you know in terms of how we adopt it in an educational environment or any sensitive environment right healthcare as well if you were to adopt this kind of technology in healthcare it would have to go through a, a rigorous process of like ethics reviews long-term studies i think there's a case that that needs to be more broadly applied to ai products being brought into these sort of sensitive settings where if you're going to be marketing something as a tool for children to use in a classroom, maybe we need to understand the long-term impacts of people using, using that product. Have, have you guys used it at all to, um, to like teach yourself something? I'm interested to I've know. tried, actually, actively, <laughs> I and I made the mistake of not using it for literacy because I can read and write, uh, mm -hmm. actually. But I tried to use it in sort of the linear algebra sort of space because I would, I'm interested in machine learning as a concept. And I have to say it's it's less impressive in mathematics than it is in terms of language. And I, I found some real struggles there where it would constantly contradict itself and say opposite things. Yeah, I mean, the, the accuracy is still pretty hit and miss. I've, I've recently moved more over to using BARD, um, which, I mean, a few weeks ago was a bit of a, a joke when it first was released, but now it's integrated into Google. And I like that it's real-time information rather than GPT, which is a few months old, so it's all hooked up to the internet. You don't need to worry about the plugins or anything. Um, and I, I use it for a lot of stuff, um, like with YouTube videos. If I find a 10-minute YouTube video, you can put it in and then uh, it will read the, the captions and then it will give you the, the top three bullet points rather than watching a 10 minute video. I can get the you know the info in instantly. So I do use it for learning, um, but it hasn't replaced the learning. I, I still watch the video and I just get that to summarize it as well. Um, have you used it for education at all, Fred? Are you using AI tools much? I, I've played around with them trying to solve like very discrete problems or asking questions like, you know, write me a press release or summarize this article, like that kind of just testing. Um, I wouldn't say broad, you know, learning. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's a mixed result. Um, still impressive, but you can see the evolution, um, particularly if you've followed sort of the amount of data and the amount, the size of the, of the models and how the, the computing power has just increased over time. Uh, a relatively short period of time. Yeah, uh, It's definitely exciting. Hey, really quick video just to give you a free subscription to Coda Magazine. Coda is the number one publication for all the latest tech news, expert insights, and exclusive industry interviews. With Coda, you get the inside scoop on what's happening with Elon Musk, with Bill Gates, with Jeff Bezos, with Mark Zuckerberg, and so much more. So if you work in the technology industry, then I'd highly recommend that you give Coda a read today. Just scan the QR code on the screen for free access now, 
or go to welovealpha.com forward slash magazine to get your free subscription today. So moving on from from AI, um, we'll go to an announcement from Google um, who have just released their first folding smartphone. This is a Pixel Fold. This is their first entry into the market. Um, obviously, uh, for a long time, people were uh, big tech companies were scared to release the folding phones because of the issues that were having the screens and the lines that were being created. It now seems that those have started to, to go away and the smartphone slash tablet sectors have become one and um, will, will become one moving forward. Um, there was an interview with, uh, with Sundar and he was saying that, look, it's a very much a stepping stone product. It's not the it's not the end um, of what they want it to be, um, but it's kind of cool and it's starting to become a reality. Who knows, maybe Apple's iPhone one or two generations later will be able to, to be folded. Interesting, right? Um, I appreciate we don't have the product in front of us. We can't actually test it like we do a lot of times on, on the podcast when, when we're doing hardware reviews. But just from that clip, just from your impressions of folding phones, if you think that'll be a thing, if you think it'll be a fad, what's your perspective on, on Google entering the market and, and that product? Um, Mikhail, so easy. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of the folding sort of modality. Um the first thing that I think when I see that video is how the heck do I get like screen protectors and protective casings to work with this sort of thing? It's got three, <laughs> yeah. you know, glass sides to it. How do I put it down? How do I navigate this? What happens if I drop they, it? They could break a lot easier, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the hinge as well. You know, yeah. you'd imagine that that's a soft spot for it. Like if I drop it and it just snaps in half, that, yeah. that would be unfortunate. It's great for Google. I mean, you know, they can... Uh, <laughs> Twice the sales. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And then I'm also a fan of smaller devices. So personally, like increasing the thickness is probably last on my wish list uh, for a new device. I don't think that Apple will be going this direction at all. Okay. For me... They sit at the crossroads of technology and fashion at this point. Like I think all of their products lean in that direction, and I don't see this as breaking new ground in that direction. Um, I think we're much, much more likely to see a return towards the like Google Glass type thing. Sure. Uh, I think eyewear for Apple makes much more sense as a new device. Well, and I think next month they're releasing, well, they're planned to release their XR headset. I know that's oh, more, really? it's more VR rather than AR, and okay. they they pushed back the glasses like these over a couple yeah. of years because they just couldn't get the tech small enough. But, um, you know, when yeah. they have a mixed reality headset, um, people say that's the, that's the next smartphone rather than uh, just a folding mechanism in it. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. This, to me, feels like a one-generation, I, I hate to say gimmick, but sort of. And I don't think Apple does one-generation gimmicks. I think that's something that you do when you're competing in a much more a larger space with more brands. Yeah. And I don't think Apple view themselves as competing against most Android phones. And I say that as an Android user. Sure. Yeah. So I don't think they have a need for these types of USPs. Um, I think Android phones typically do because they need to differentiate in a yeah. different way. Yeah. Okay. Fred, what's your view on folding phones and the Pixel Fold, please? So I, I have a folding phone, which I was gifted. It's the Samsung. Do you have it with one? you? One, I don't have it with okay. me. Um, <laughs> and that should say something. But... I, I think it's one of these things that it's trying to do too many things. So, you know, a tablet is a tablet and it should be a great tablet and designed as such and used as such. And a phone should be a phone. And when you try to build them together, it's neither neither one. It's, it won't be good at either one. It'll be too small to be a tablet and, and too large to really be an effective phone. And, I mean, the price point is double yeah, yeah, yeah. what yeah. a phone costs roughly. Uh, and it is Android, which I am an Apple fanboy. But even so, and uh, to Mikhail's point, I don't see Apple moving there for for all the reasons I said. Um, people like their hardware and and their software and their purpose built devices, and uh, I think they should continue what they're doing. Well, why did you stop using the folding phone that was given to you? I d I didn't find a use case for it, and it w the size didn't work for me. It was too big. I'm used to carrying a thin phone. This was very thick. Yeah. Uh, um, if I, again, I didn't really use that many of the features. Um, it felt gimmicky. Um, and even though I didn't pay for it, I just, after like a week, I stopped using it. Yeah. Okay. Sitting in a drawer. Harry, what's your point of view? Yeah, that, that's bang, that is, that's the perfect exhibit A of, of my, I think this is just a pointless gimmick, to be honest. I really, I, 
I would never buy one. I um, think it's a technology trying to find a problem. It's, sure. It solves absolutely nothing. Uh, like, if any, yeah, fine, you get a little bit of a bigger screen maybe, but quite frankly, I want, I'd want. i much rather a phone without a screen, um, to be quite honest with you. Um, I uh, Or have no phone at all. Um, that would be nice. Um, but it, it's like, you know, the, the, the idea from, it feels, it feels like a little bit like, Samsung and, and Google are kind of clutching at straws really to kind of compete in the in the smartphone market. I mean, Apple have just they're just so dominant in it, and it's um, yeah, I, I don't know. It feels it feels unnecessary to me. Um, I, you've got all of your other screens in your house, your TV, your laptop to do the the Netflix watching and, and everything else. And actually, you know, having a, a bigger screen on you at all times I, uh, that just doesn't 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 fit my use case for, for phones. Okay, you guys in theory should love the last clip then because uh, this product is basically trying to replace your smartphone, essentially. So this is Humane um, with a new concept. Um, this was like the best way to drop it because it was a TED Talk. It's like the best way to do product placement to drop it in, in the middle of a TED Talk. So props to them from the, the marketing perspective. But essentially, um, it's it's like a little camera slash mic slash device slash projector which sits in your pocket and then if you hold out your hand you can you can display some limited information that you want whether that's a call whether that's you know some words and some information obviously all voice enabled there is no keyboard or anything like that um, it holds up a, a snack bar and then he uses ai to say hey can i eat this and it reads the information and the ingredients based on what's online and it will, it will give him the information you can use it for your calendar you can use it you know hey what's what's next to my schedule and it will give you to read the schedule to you hey summarize my emails and it will give you the top emails and give you the key information so um you know this is definitely going the opposite it, you know google are going hey we need a bigger screen we need more information that you can see humane are saying, look, let's take calls, let's take the AI camera, let's take, you know, Siri voice and and let's put it into something which doesn't exist. So it fades into the background. There's, there's no phone and it's just an extension of you, an AI companion connected to you. Obviously, there's limitations, right? You can't you can't start typing out an email. I suppose you could do the voice um, to, to reply to stuff. But I personally, I don't know if I would want to replace my smartphone. I've just become so you know, addicted to having that with me. Um, but I can certainly see why this would be appealing to, to a lot of people. But um, what, what are your perspectives on the humane, um, I wouldn't even say smartphone, just the humane computing concept, maybe, um, Harry? What's, what's your... These guys, these guys are ex-Apple, right? The, the I, I don't know where, where, where they come from yeah. in their background, but I, I, it, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, the presentation on stage so. was very Steve Jobsy, wasn't mm. it? And I'm yeah. rocking my Steve Jobs look today as well. So, I mean... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'd definitely try this. I think exactly as I was saying earlier, the sort of reduction in screens is, I think, just such a good thing for for me. I, 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 exactly as you just said, it's it's like an addiction, right? Like your smartphone is. It, I I am. Um, <laughs> my name's Harry, and I have a smartphone addiction. I, I really <laughs> do. I, I really. I need to um, get less screens in my life, and I would love to. I'd love to try this tech. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's going to be the last, um, uh, the, the last step on the journey, but it certainly looks like a, a good stepping stone. Um, yeah. What, what I'd like about it is when I got my like Apple Watch, that hasn't replaced my my um, smartphone definitely, but it has replaced certain apps that I use on like alarms. I use Siri voice alarms, and I have pre-programmed like 10 of them a day that go off at certain times when I've got to feed the dog or, or you know or, or you know make something for the baby or, or, or something like that and it's all designed there my, my series going off as I'm saying that right now <laughs> <laughs> got to use that word you know music I use it to pause and play songs that are connected to all the different smart speakers and my, my smart home setup and timers so I use it for like three or four things um, which is better use cases than my phone it stops me from pulling out the pocket all, all the time i think that this is what this would do it would it would be great for like like three or four applications and it would stop me from using the smartphone as much um so i think it's an extension rather than a replacement to, to me uh, but I, I get what you're saying i'd like to try it and it would certainly be, be, be cool to use um fred what's what's your take on the humane concept like the concept a lot and if it can keep me off my phone great uh, how it works or how efficient, effective it is and where the camera is and how all the tech works and can it work while I'm running and all those kind of questions uh, would need to be answered. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of some of the smart assistants, the Alexas, and when they first came out, they were great and there are lots of apps and then they kind of fade into the background a bit. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I find the more devices I get, the more time I spend on devices. It's not like... If I take this 
and then I take the time on my phone, I don't think it's going to net less time co combined. So I, I, I think it's like a bit of technology creep. It's like just another thing that I'm going to be aware of and yeah. that will distract me from experiencing my the real world that I'm in so that, that you know even if it's just shining a light on my hand yeah it, it it's 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 a distraction so I, I I am concerned about that and the fact that it's with me all the time and it's kind of available all the time and it's so easy to activate some concerns there it's like I can't remember the exact term for, for what this is, but there's a uh, if you go to somebody and say, "Hey, can I put this really really small um, plaque in your in your yard to promote this political candidate?" and it's tiny, and like, "Oh yeah, sure, whatever." And then next week you come back and you're like, "Hey, can I get a little bit of a bigger version there?" and then you put it in, and then like before long, inch by inch, you've then got like a huge Trump flag outside your window or something crazy, <laughs> right? So I mean, it it, it can um, inch by inch tech can just take over your your life, and I get what you're saying. You know, when we have AI glasses. When we have smart watches when we have humane's plug-in it's all these devices that are meant to replace the smartphone are just adding to, to tech time and, and dependency and so yeah it's like every time you ask someone a question it's like they automatically go to google well now i'm not gonna have to go to i can just ask the question yeah but sometimes you're just not gonna know mm. or you're gonna rack your brain and try to remember it and sometimes you'll remember it and sometimes you won't but again that dependency on the technology and having more ways to interact with technology yeah. and more things to charge at night <laughs> is something I, I think you know I'm, I'm already past my my tolerance for. Yeah, the, the charging is too much. <laughs> I, I just got an extension cable for my extension cable, <laughs> my bedside table, because I've got so much stuff there. Um, yeah, that's something that, that they need to think about. Wireless charging, like like come on, like figure it out. I mean, I, I know it's really hard. I know, but it, it doesn't it, work well. I have one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I say wireless charging, I I, I don't mean putting it down. I mean through the air. You know that would oh. be that would be the the, ne the first trillionaire would be the inventor of wireless charging, true wireless charging. Uh, Mikhail, what's what's your take on on the humane device? I thought the technology looked incredibly compelling. I think the crossover between sort of machine learning and generative AI, yeah. like that they were doing, and then integrating it into the applications that you already use, like amazing. Some of the like the machine translation stuff that they were doing in your own voice in real time, that kind of stuff, like that's super impressive. I think the technology, very compelling. The product, I'm not sure that this is the next step that we're going on. I think perhaps, unfortunately, where we're moving towards is is like biohacking, Neuralink. Like that's the long-term end game, probably. Sure. Like yeah. integration into our senses. Whereas this is more like projection into the external world, right? You have voice interfaces with your voice assistant on your body and you have projection onto your hand. Like I'm not sure... I mean, I personally find it annoying when people are talking on the phone on the bus. I, I don't care if you're talking to a person or to your voice assistant. Like, it's going to be annoying either way, and, and most people would be embarrassed to use it in mm. that sense. And I also don't want my private text messages pro projected in front of me when I when I receive them. Like, sure. who knows what's in there? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think that's the direction we're going. I think, you know, I, I mentioned it previously, I think Apple's probably looking at eyewear still. I think that's coming in two, three years when they think it's right. They're not Google. They're not going to just put it out there. Sure. They're going to get it right. And when they do, that will be incredibly impactful. And I think, you know, that moves us into like the integration into census because it's right in front of your eyes. It's more, it's closer to you rather than projecting. And I think that's probably where we're headed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think AR will ever replace the smartphone um, because it, it'll be yeah. great. it'll be similar to the watch. You'll have a little for maps. Yeah. It'll be good for directions. It'll be good for text alerts, and you can speak to it, and you can get limited information, but limited information. Whereas with a phone, you can do so much more um, because you have a screen in, in, in your hand. Um, I mean, I know the people that believe in the metaverse from a VR perspective. They think that's the replacement to the smartphone, and that is the final because that, that is a lot more that you can do if you can see a complete digital world. You're disagreeing, <laughs> yeah, and that's fine. I, sorry. I, I mean, sorry. In, in its current form, the metaverse is a, is a bit of a joke, right? I mean, it's not it's not where it needs to, to be. But when the graphics become indistinguishable from real life, um, who knows what, what what will happen at that point? Um, okay, 
Cool. Well, thank you all for coming on to talk what's been happening in, in the world of tech. Um, for people that made it to the end of the pod, um, most people that watch this are software developers, they're technologists, and um, they're often looking for, for positions and roles. So um, just talk about, about your companies. Are, are any of you guys hiring at the moment? What what do you hire for? Um, what kind of tech stack do, do, do you use? Um, Harry, we'll, we'll start with yourself. Yeah, sure. So we are a generative AI company, and we're certainly using that terminology more and more, but we've been around for uh, six years. We um, are always looking for enthusiastic and, um, yeah, super clever people to join our company in a, in a range of roles from data, data scientists through to um, yeah, ML engineers and some quite deep, deep technical roles. Uh, they're always... Um, we're always open to conversations there. As I say, some of the challenges we're trying to solve are really big. We work in data privacy, so it's um, a worthwhile cause to uh, to come and, come and work at Hazy. Um, but yeah, it's uh, as I say, you, you, you come to Hazy to solve some big problems. Cool. And Fred, tell us a bit about Suede and what you guys look for. Yeah, we are a regulatory reporting SaaS platform uh, serving financial institutions, banks uh, here in the UK, in Europe, the US, Singapore, and Canada. And we are growing and we are hiring across all functions, including tech. Um, we're SaaS, AWS, Python developers always in need. Uh, anyone with regulatory or fintech experience, always welcome to have a chat. Uh, and as well, um, myself being the COO in the ops space, uh, finance, strategy, legal, lots of roles currently listed and uh, very happy to have conversations. Cool. And uh, Mikhail? Yeah, so uh, I work at Helios. Um, we're trying to basically, well, we're in the space of uh, mental health care for young people, specifically with autism or mental health problems or, or ADHD. Um, we're trying to, you know, create interventions at, at the right point in time in a young person's life. Um, I think that's a very meaningful problem to try and solve. And what we really observe about the world is that there's no way for current technology to scale or for the current workforce of clinicians to scale to meet the crisis that we're facing. And we need technology in order to create the leverage to meet the demand. Um, so that's what we're working on. You know, we're, I think we have some really interesting research projects that I can't talk about happening because we do have a, a very, very smart machine learning and AI department doing some really interesting clinical research. If you're in that space, I'm sure we'd love to talk to you. Um, also, I think we're hiring for some product roles in the near future and possibly software engineers and a little bit further down the road, we have a reasonably sized team already here. So, awesome. yeah, but doing very well and doing some interesting things and hopefully going to have a, a big impact on the world. So, yeah, come talk to us if you're interested. Cool. All right. Thank you all for, for your time. Thanks for your perspectives. Thank you all for listening. And I'll see you next week. Thank you. Hey, thanks for watching this podcast. Make sure that you like, subscribe, follow, comment, etc., etc. And I'll see you in the next episode.